Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I'd like to call to order the um, May 25th um, meeting of the Transportation Commission. And it's about six o'clock, a little after six. Um, I'd like to call roll first. Uh, this month we are still in a virtual environment. So I'll, I would ask everybody that I call upon to say uh, yay if they are here. Uh, we know that Faith DeBolt is going to be joining us soon. Uh, AJ Antrim. Uh, Shri, and I'm, I'm going to try Bonabarman. Uh, close. Thank you. Uh, Brian is absent. Um, Here. And Patrick Boo. I see him. All right. Um, so we have uh, Brian E. and Faith are absent right now, but Faith should join us shortly. Let's get started with the meeting minutes from last time, the April 27th meeting. Um, do uh, I hear any comments on the meetings, minutes from that meeting, the April 27th? Hearing none, uh, do I have a motion to approve the minutes? This is Patrick. I'll make a motion. Thank you, Patrick. Second. I second. Thank you. All right. Um, now we all on the same say aye. 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 Minutes have been approved. Any opposed? Sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, they have been approved. Uh, okay. So uh, next thing. Um, France, do you know if there's any um, folks out there that would like to um, have a public comment at this time? Um, I don't see any you don't see? attendees that would like to speak. Uh, if there's any, please raise your hand. If, if not, then we will continue with the meeting. A little faint, is it, do I think that as a no? Uh, yeah, there is, there is nobody, uh, there, there, there is no public comment. Okay. Okay. So I will move on to the uh, agenda then. And we have, first on our list is, yeah, first on our list is the um, proposed regulations for the autonomous personal delivery devices. And with us today, is John Starward, Deputy Public Works Director at Scott Luther Senior Planner. Welcome. Um, so John and um, Scott, you can get started with your meeting. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, my name is John Starbard and I will uh, at least start off the staff portion of this discussion. Uh, our topic is autonomous personal delivery devices. And we were last before the Transportation Commission to discuss uh, this new uh, technology in use at your April 27th meeting. <clears throat> and during that discussion, the commissioners raised a number of observations and questions, uh, which we tried to summarize for you in the staff report for this meeting. Um, subsequent to that, uh, this matter was brought to the city council for its May 3rd meeting. 
and the uh, staff presented three options for the city council to evaluate. One was to disallow autonomous personal delivery devices in the city at this time. The second was to allow them, but only on uh, private or institutional properties. An institutional property, by way of example, might be a, a college. Uh, and the third would be to allow them on the public rights of way. <clears throat> the option of, and, and the council asked staff to have those options evaluated and then return to the council. Having them uh, coming up with proposed regulations, kind of a, a, a framework of regulations, but not actually the specific language of regulations quite yet, uh, for the operation on private property, private and institutional property is the purview of the planning commission. But um, the option to come up with proposed regulations for operation on the rights of way is in the Transportation Commission's purview. Um, to sort of shape this discussion and begin your thinking about it, uh, we put, to put out a number of uh, topics that could be crafted into regulations that tried to be responsive to the observations and questions you raised on April 27th and the <clears throat> observations and questions that the city council asked on May 3rd, and then feedback that we heard from two um, online community meetings that we held prior to your April 27th meeting. And so, um, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Chairman, the uh, purpose of this discussion for the next period of time is for you to discuss these topics and what the commission's opinions and recommendations are on the individual elements. And then a staff can begin to work with that to shape it into something that we can return to the council and see where they would like to go with regard to operation on the rights of way. Before I continue, are there, uh, are there any, I'll, I'll list the top, I'll state the topics that we have in the staff report, and then I'll ask if there are any that you would like to add or that you think we missed. Uh, mm -hmm. They are limited initial authorization, either in time or location or both. American with Disability Act considerations, school zones and greenways, operation on schools, in school zones or on greenways, climate change issues, use of the public's sidewalk for private commerce and performance standards. So I'll pause and see if you would like to amend any of those. Do we have any comments, uh, commissioners at this point? Patrick. Hi, John. A great memo from the staff and so forth. Uh, I had a question about, you know, I was looking at other places like LA DOT has their own standards and regulations and so forth. They address like identification. There were a couple of topics that I didn't know where it kind of fit into the categories of what you guys were reviewing or thinking about. Um, there were more on the indemnification, you know, liabilities of these, you know, as we regulate these, you know, what are 
requirements for liabilities and for them to operate on the public right-of-way. Um, there was questions about, maybe this is a larger topic, but kind of uh, data sharing, you know, what kind of, what, you know, since we're permitting for this, can we get some data sharing in terms of, especially if it's a new program to, to make sure we have informed decisions as we go forward, as things broaden, what kind of data sharing is allowed? I don't know if the city does like MDS, mobility data services, uh, uh, sort of sharing, but you know, some kind of uh, ability to, to get garner some data from these private operators and so forth along those lines as we permit them uh, along those lines. Um, and then I didn't get a sense for, you know, where, you know, if they act in the bad faith, you know, what are the grounds for termination and enforcement of those termination of the permit? It's great, like we, we have a, if we are talking about a time limit for the permits or fleet size, but what's repercussion or grounds are of, of, for them to, uh, you know, if they're dishonest, you know, we told them you can't go in these right of ways, they don't do it. You know, those, what are the grounds, ground rules that we are kind of, you guys are thinking about. So those are a couple of things, items that I just want to point out, get your thoughts and, and see what you found from other places as well. Be interested to know. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chairman, are there others? Uh, Raphael. Thank you. Apologies for having a non-working camera. Uh, I would like to get a, a sense of operationally what type of telemetry and what type of data, be it image data or otherwise, the uh, as part of the regular operations, uh, what data these devices are collecting, whether they are being stored, uh, back shared, uh, you know, just, just get a little bit more detail about what happens to that telemetry. Is it exclusively on board, uh, et cetera. And th the reason I'm curious about is not so much uh, of what these devices do while they're on a public way, which I believe uh, would be akin to having a camera on a car or something for private purposes. But if, if these devices are gonna be entering properties and such, uh, what what type of privacy protections, if any, uh, are being considered? Thank you, thank you. Um, I one comment I I had through reading this uh, memo, John, was um, what kind of information do we have right now? Uh, I know one of the drivers on this whole um, proposal is um, that it will cut down on vehicles or emissions or such that sort of thing that delivery packages. But um, when, you know, I would think in the right of way, there might be cases where you're gonna have a, a vehicle and uh, one of these devices both entering into a certain area for, due to preferences or, or whatever. Is there any information about what kind of benefits um, are being projected by using these devices? Okay. Um, so what I did is I wrote down those uh, five topics to add to the six that we proposed in the staff report. And um, what's your preference? Should we work through the six at, that are in the staff report and then continue on with the additional five? Or would you like... Um, uh, answers to the five topics that were raised just now. 
I guess I would propose that if you can give um, some responses to the items now, that'd be great. And then see what's left over. Okay. So the first one that I wrote down concerned indemnification. And um, that would be language that we would include in a city ordinance. And I believe that there is also, I, I'm not going to attest to this, but I believe there's also language about indemnification and insurance in the um, state statute concerning autonomous personal delivery devices. So at the state level, I believe they're required to uh, ad address indemnification. We also would um, have language in our regulations um, in the event the council adopted regulations. <clears throat> Data sharing. Um, I apologize that I don't know what MDS is. MDS is mobility, mobility data services. So, you know, like uh, Uber and Lyft, they share data out with cities, municipalities. There's a, it's a platform for private commercial vendors to share data with public entities. So it's a very common data sharing platform, standards and so forth. There's a lot of security built in, right? Some anonymizing of data and so forth. Well, um, in the spirit of passing the buck, I wonder if Mr. Funt has any ideas uh, about um, our ability to require data sharing in a municipal regulation and about MDS? So um, we did a few years ago, uh, put out a permit for um, an opportunity for a bike share operator or more than one to operate in um, Kirkland. And that was um, <clears throat> a little, maybe a few months late to the game. So we really didn't get anybody because everybody had moved on to scooters at that point. But anyway, as part of that, we did um, have a, uh, a requirement that they provided performance data as, um, as part of our ability to, um, to your next point, you know, the kind of make sure that they're meeting their performance standards and also, you know, gaining, you know, data, data on how it was working and things like that. We also um, permit, uh, have a temporary permit, right-of-way use permit for Google to operate their sh uh, shuttles in the right-of-way in near Kirkland Urban. And in that case, we also require them to provide data. So there are, there are a few other instances where we have done that. I don't think that it has come up in the conversations with um, Amazon, but we have, um, and, or, you know, with the APDDs, but it's a, it's a really good question. Okay, with regard to termination for acts of bad faith, we, we can put that in the regulations. I believe we would need to be specific about uh, what would be the cause of the revocation of the permit. Um, uh, maybe Scott has some insight onto that about uh, uh, the, the, the boundaries and the rules for a jurisdiction about revocation of a permit. Well, um, we have, uh, different kinds of permit, you know, temporary permits that we, we can issue is, you know, my recollection from 
from dealing with uh, sidewalk cafe permits and such is that they have to meet the standards, both um, state and, and local standards. And if those standards aren't, aren't met and if we receive uh, complaints through code enforcement or if uh, city uh, witnesses any of these um, infractions that those, uh, those permit licenses can be revoked. Uh, or uh, given, you know, or they're given a warning, and they have to come in compliance with X amount of time. Um, these are typical ways that the planning department deals with, you know, code enforcement violations. Um, but in terms of how operations within the right of way, uh, outside of basic, you know, curb management, when I I haven't gotten too far into understanding like the rules of the road, kind of you know, infractions, you know, how police department will be involved in those. Um, but uh, we can definitely look into that a little bit more. Um, Joel, do you have any thoughts? Um, <clears throat> this, this would function, it seems more like a, like a permit um, than, uh, than a, um, like a, a less like a speed limit or more like a permit. <laughs> they would be allowed to operate and then and then we would of course want to set some ground rules about how they wear and stuff like that. But we've talked about that. So yeah. I mean the, the general construct is that a municipality can set rules for time, place, and manner. So <clears throat> if the commission were interested in recommending that there be a termination clause or a revocation ability. I think if we constructed it within time, place, and manner, uh, we could do that. Um, the next item is um, <clears throat> what type of data are the devices collecting, particularly on or from private property? <clears throat> we, when we had a, the site visit, the field visit with the Amazon Scout program in unincorporated Snohomish County, we asked a question like that. The answer that we were given is that Amazon does not retain um, filmed video information and that it, we were also told that the, the camera is at a certain angle or limitation that it's not you know, scoping up to see any higher than a few feet off the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the oral answer that we were given at the field visit. Okay. Now in your, in your experience, like is, is it reasonable to request that, you know, telemetry or, or data that was assisted? Um, I understand the Amazon's answer that they do not store video. Uh, there's additional data that, that may be being generated. And we, I, I think in the public interest, it would be nice to know that that data, for example, expires within 30 days or 90 days or whatever retention period. Is this something that could be requested or, or we could get more detail on? Uh, and then similar, just to follow up a little bit on the MDS discussion, I think uh, regardless of retention of these data, it would be good for, for the city to understand how 
uh, personally identifiable information uh, is prevented from entering you know, their systems, right? A, a simple example could be errantly capturing a license plate or something like that, right? Like, th th these things happen, uh, that's fine, but they're just understanding what the mechanisms are to, to protect privacy, I think would be useful. Mr. Fernandez, so that I'm clear on your interest, when you when you use the example 30, 60, 90 days, mm -hmm. were you asking whether they do store the information for 30, 60, 90, or whether they could because this is this, there might, uh, there might be interest in that. Yeah, this is this is a good discussion to have, right? Like uh, from a constructive point of view, like what we could do with them as a city, right? Now you have autonomous vehicles roaming the city. Uh, potentially capturing interesting data. It could be, I don't know, uh, the temperature on the ground. Maybe we just care about how, how bad asphalt is that day. You know, uh, Whatever sensors you have on board, there's usually value in having some sort of data sharing agreement uh, and, and, and capturing some of that data as long as it's not personally identifiable uh, for purposes other than delivering whatever this vehicles are going to be delivering. So from a constructive point of view, yes, what data do you have and what we could use it for? And do we have, you know, reason to believe that this data would allow us to understand uh, the, the grid a little bit better? That would be a great discussion to have. From the protection side of, of things, though, let's assume there's no interest in doing that. Um, I claim as part of the operations of these devices, as it's common in industry, you do retain some sort of logs and some sort of history of, of everything that your sensors have been capturing. Like this is, uh, this tends to be a normal part of how we operate these types of devices for various reasons, because it helps you with device health and device understanding as well. My, my suggestion in that uh, point of view is just make sure what are you doing to prevent that this telemetry uh, images, whatnot, whatever it may be, uh, effectively does not have personal identifiable information of citizens without their consent, and if retained for improvement or operational purposes, what is the retention period of that data, right? Like uh, we would, presumably the city would, would like to know that data is being held forever, even if it's telemetry. Like the, there are things that we don't know how to use today and storing them just in case you figure something out later today seems like a, uh, 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 an undesirable default policy to me. Does, that, you, does that answer your questions? Uh, it, it better clarifies your interest. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Um, and the final one um, is, is whether we have any information about how the deployment of Scout in other markets has reduced van deliveries or, um, or, or what benefit the city might realize through the implementation of Scout. Um, again, going back to the field visit that some staff members attended, um, they were, Amazon staff were very forthcoming that right now, if there is a customer who, for whatever personal reason, does not want a scout delivery, but instead 
desires the package to be delivered by a van and a person in the package placed on the front porch or something, they will do that. Even if that same hour they're delivering via scout next door. Um, so it's a, it's a customer driven um, um, operation. Um, I think that we asked, posed the question in the staff, the staff report for your meeting tonight is whether the city should consider some sort of performance measures or targets related to reduction of van delivery versus um, scout delivery. Uh, Amazon representatives also stated that Amazon is moving to an all electric van delivery fleet. I don't know how, what, how far along they are in that evolution. Uh, Patrick. Yeah, I, thanks, Kurt. Um, yeah, I was gonna just reiterate uh, Raphael's point about data privacy. I mean, I think a good example would be, you know, Google, uh, Google Street Maps and Google Street Views when they, they black out or blank out or redact people's faces and, and personal identifiable information. Understanding that Amazon may not use that technology, may use LiDAR technologies, but any other vendor that, that captures visual images you know, as they go along the along the right away and collecting, you know, images of folks in on their private properties. You know, right? Th those sort of, sort of things, uh, be questions I would have along those lines for the privacy. And then, if I if I may, I, I guess I, when I was reading the performance section of the of the, of the staff report, I, when I was thinking about performance standards, I was thinking more of performance standards of the, the devices. So I was looking more from the uh, a standpoint of the you know, if the machine breaks down, is it going to be, you know, sitting there for 24 hours, or is there some kind of performance that it gets fixed or removed from the, from you know, being, uh, from being stuck somewhere? Uh, yeah, uh, so that's what I was thinking as as as, as an engineer, uh, what performance standards was. But uh, yeah, I didn't know if that fit in that section. But the way you just explained performance standards, it, it to me it was a little bit different from what I was thinking. That would be I, I I think it could be both. Okay. Yeah, so it's something you guys can address that as well in terms of like, you know, should there be some basic uh, performance that we, you know, is there a phone number that's, that you guys can call there's, you know, right away, you know, rather than sitting on their, their helpline for, for hours and so forth, you know, sort of thing. They are required under state law to have individual um, identification numbers and, uh, and contact information. Okay. on the devices themselves. These are registered with the state department of licensing. Yeah, hopefully it's not like calling United Airlines where it takes like five hours to get a live person. Out yeah. Call the number. <laughs> you have a number, but you know, it takes like, you know. Yeah, they, they are required to come, uh, come out within a, a, a period of time to, to with a specific, specific time frame in order to um, uh, manage, you know, uh, devices that have had incidents. Okay. Like generally traffic incidents, yeah. Great. Thanks, Scott. Mm -hmm. um, other questions right now? I have one and that is, um, has this been presented to the Planning Commission yet? This, this specifically, uh, the, this topic of related to um, 
the option of regulating these within or allowing these within the right of way and and how would we regulate that mm -hmm. uh, has is not uh, will, yeah. is not going to be part of the planning commission's discussion. They have um, had a, an initial um, you know a meeting about this topic um, in, right before the city council meeting and brought up several you know you know, concerns related related to how these operate in the right of way, which obviously, you know, is not part of what the planning commission is there to kind of weigh in on. Uh, they do have lots of concerns about privacy and, and um, uh, as it relates to how we're going to approach the planning commission in a future meeting is we'll, we'll bring the second option that Council wished us to um, uh, put put forward to them in a in, in draft regulations is is a kind of operating solely on private property, and mm -hmm. how would how would we develop regulations re related to that? So Scott, um, you're going back to the Planning Commission soon and focus the discussion only on what would they recommend for regulations related only to operation on private and institutional property. Correct. Correct. I would, um, I, that's good news, I think. And uh, I guess I would think that that would be, if you're going to do it, try it on private property first with institutions that are willing to go along with that. <laughs> right away opens up a whole other series of um, concerns. And, you know, not that they're all unavoidable or can't be mitigated, but. There's a lot of uncertainty in the right of way that maybe isn't there on the private institution. So um, it seems like if you're going to give it a go for a trial period, the private developments that are willing to give this a shot would be the way to go. At least that's that's my opinion. Others? So. Uh... Yeah, I, I just I didn't have an opinion either way, Kurt. If you're asking, <laughs> no. I guess I'm just putting that forward as a as my opinion, and um, want to see what other folks thought. Um, I think it's maybe a little too early to make a definitive decision. I just uh, I think this is great that you're asking question that you're presenting this this information, and we're able to answer more questions, present more questions for you to answer. Um, it seems like um, Amazon is anxious to. Uh, respond to those in, in some form. Um, Joel, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't, at, I mean, at this point, I would say that we're, um, I would defer to John and Scott on kind of where we're at in this process. Yeah. I And uh, Mr. Chairman, I guess what I would say is that um, if the commission is willing that tonight if you, if you had to operate within the box that um, the commission is being asked to identify um, items to consider within a regulatory framework, perhaps within the six topics that we identified, mm -hmm. um, to put your recommended limits, um, uh, permissions, um, conditions, on those with the understanding that the city council hasn't yet decided what they are going to do 
uh, but they are looking to hear back from the Planning Commission and the Transportation Commission and members of the public um, about, I guess, the overall program and if it were to be allowed under those two scenarios, how? Okay. Um, well, I think the information that you presented tonight is, um, I think it's good stuff that you, you've done and uh, good work and good information about what could go into such a policy. Um, I guess we would need to see what that policy ends up, the draft looks like, and then go from there. Um, uh, does the commission have an opinion about limiting the initial authorization either in time or location on the rights of way? Uh, anybody, uh, Michelle, let's hear from you first. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess just generally, you know, my, my top of mind for me with this is you know, the, the way that these units act in a, in a sidewalk, right? And that they, you know, that they pause for a long time um, and it's not clear how, how nimbly they can get out of way, right? And so I think for me, that just logistically, the biggest thing that I would love to see is that there's, you know, either improvement in that technology or some commitment around that such that it doesn't block people who need to use the sidewalk um, with, you know, not just wheelchairs, but strollers and, and whatever, right? And so I just would love to see more language around that. It'd be great. I would agree. Sheree. I think you had your hand up. You're um, muted, Sheree. We cannot hear you. Can you unmute? Can you hear me now? You're very soft. You're very soft voice. It's like your mic. You're unmuted right now, but uh, you're maybe quiet. turn up the volume or get closer to the mic. Better now. Uh, A little bit better. A bit, yeah. Right. Um, as we first start off, I think it's valid that we should have time limitations. Um, such as like in the more like on busy times, such as like in the mornings, as people transport to work, schools, and then in the evenings as they return back home. Just as they start off, and then after a few months, after we monitor, we can change that. Thank you, Sri. Uh, Raphael. Raphael. Yeah, I was thinking along similar lines. Um, it would be nice to have a term limit, but also a, a clear way to gather feedback from people, right? And uh, it would be nice for the city to make some sort of commitment uh, or, or procedure on how to uh, react to feedback from people who are interacting with these devices on the street and, and use that uh, to determine next steps. Okay, Patrick. Uh, mine goes actually hand in hand with the, the Greenway and the school route uh, comment, it's, uh, establishing hours. 
because for me it's like okay you know if i lived on a school route i would want it you know it'd be cool to have delivery from a little drone device personal device to my house you know so you know i, I think sensibility in terms of yeah makes sense to limit during peak hour times when people are using the sidewalk perhaps but don't overly constrain it right like less is more uh, let the market kind of dictate that you know i can understand definitely limit it on on park and greenways but the school route one was you know, probably during school year, yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? I don't want to have to dodge a um, uh, personal device when I'm bringing my kids to school, walking my kids to school. But, you know, during nighttime or later in the evening, it doesn't really matter. Um, the other question was, uh, was there a rhyme reason for six months uh, kind of trial? I, I just didn't know what basis of six months versus a year. It, uh, it was a number that was put out for discussion purposes. If I remember correctly, the city of San Francisco had a six month, initially uh, had a six month um, trial window, uh, but there is no magic in the number. Okay. I think that six months sounds like a good time frame. I guess as far as place, location, I think you'd want to do it in a location where you had a minimum um, with a four feet uh, unobstructed. So maybe that's like an eight foot sidewalk, except for maybe like, you know, you have a, where you have to get in front of a mailbox or something like that. But um, I would say in general, you'd want to have a width, a travel width for the device of more than four feet, uh, maybe up to eight feet, depending on the width of the device. Um, which was so, Mr. Chairman, are you saying that the sidewalk should have a certain width, you're suggesting four feet, just for the, the device to operate, but in addition to that, there would be pedestrian or, or non-motorized right. space so that you might need a sidewalk that, your example, was eight feet. So yeah. That would be yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, you get power poles in there and everything else, but uh, rail boxes and garbage pickups and stuff like that that get in the way. Um, at least have some way of getting around, especially from an ADA standpoint, um, four feet is kind of a magic number. Um, you know, so that if you, if someone encounters like one of the machines on one part of the, uh, the sidewalk, there's ability within reason to get around that. Hey, Kurt, this is Patrick. Yeah. Just to follow up on that question, Kurt, what is my concern would be how many, do we have any eight foot sidewalk anywhere in the city? Um, I believe we have, well, there, well, a good example, I guess, is, is like a park lane downtown, uh, you know, the, the eateries and such go out with their tables into the sidewalk area, but they're required to have a four-foot area for ADA accessibility around those, like the chairs and tables, kind of along those lines. So, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, that is a challenge in the city. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering if we artificially, you know, th there's sidewalks here that no one uses here. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm just wondering, you know, you know just, I'm just be concerned about yeah. the, the, are we overly being overly restrictive to a point where there's no, there's not a viable commercial option True. to operate? I, I guess you, uh, you raise a great question, great, uh, great question, great item there. Um, it's going to be kind of like you look at an area and say, okay, well, the, the nominal width is this, or um, in general, the sidewalk width is such that it would be a good trial spot or location and area to try this at. I guess 
I've seen, I've seen enough uh, areas around town that have pretty narrow sidewalks still. And um, certainly some of the new projects are proposing wider area sidewalks uh, to encourage mobility of pedestrians and uh, such. So I, I think it's, I, I'm not trying to like get to a point where it's not feasible, but I think that you have to consider that in the general scheme of things. Mm -hmm. oh, I agree, agree. Provide Mr. a little Chairman. context. I can provide a little bit of context on the yeah um, where we're we're seeing these uh, at least the four permits. They are in the the permits are for the dispensers that uh, Amazon uses to um, hold the 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 autonomous personal delivery devices. The and then they they move, they, they get loaded up and they move out from those devices, uh, those dispensers and, and into the neighborhood. Those are located in commercial zones, generally adjacent to an arterial. Um, and they quickly, they as quickly as they can, they disperse into residential neighborhoods. Um, and they've set their own, they have their own mapping standards for, the service area, and it, it's related to, you know, the 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 capability of the technology at the time at, at this time, you know, mm -hmm. um, and so they they're designed to not every device is being used this way, um, but this particular these particular uh, devices Amazon has is it's meant to just go from a like a shopping center. Yeah, I think they have one up in Fen Hill. It's a shopping center parking lot, and again, disperses out into the neighborhood behind the shopping center, and Thank that's how, that's its service area. Uh, so we would operate primarily, for the most part, except for that stretch of road that would be adjacent to uh, along the the arterial that runs next to the next to the shopping center would span that distance, and then it would move into a, a residential neighborhood with its infrastructure. Sure. Well, it sounds like a, a good um, kind of a balance there that you're talking about as an example. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any magic silver bullet here that says this is the location that's going to work for everything. But I think it's just considerations of those kinds of things for what you're proposing, what's being proposed by Amazon. I think I would put that in in the requirements. Raphael. Yeah, I had a I had a different thought, uh, a little bit of topic, so I'm, I'm I'm happy to park it. But it has to do with meaningful events. Mm. Uh, so if we're gonna have, you know, if the city decides on on an observational period, etc., uh, obviously the companies involved have their telemetry and they they understand the performance on these vehicles and and so on. But there's probably a set of things that we care about. Uh, just to spell out and keep uh, keep track of. And some things that come to mind, for example, are uh, collision events or abandonment events and duration. You know, the, the, there seems to be a set to be defined uh, that will give us an idea of, of how these devices are interacting with, uh, well, with the network and, and, and the rest of the citizens and, and perhaps other vehicles, right? And this is not to say, I, I imagine these devices are gonna get speeding tickets or, or get into car crashes or anything like that, right? But it's, it gives us a sense of, you know, for example, in the other direction, 
if uh, if somebody kicks a robot, right, or kicks one of these things, uh, <laughs> it would also be nice to know that the, that these types of devices are not getting abused. So I think uh, I think it's something to think about how you know what meaningful events could we possibly care about to get an understanding of how how these devices coexist uh, with us. Mr. Chairman, I want to be respectful of the time the commission has for this. Um, your, uh, the commissioners have uh, already discussed items related to performance standards, um, a little bit of climate change because we're talking about delivery vans versus scouts, mm -hmm. um, uh, school zones and greenways and limiting initial authorization in time or location. I wonder to conclude, well, it's up to you if you want. Uh, in the time we have, I wonder if you, if the commission has anything more to say about ADA considerations or use of the public sidewalks for private commerce. I'll open up first for discussion um, from anybody else and then I'll chime in. Anybody else want to have an idea on that? I know that uh, probably um, Faith would have something to say about that, but she's not here that I can see. So. Um, well, ADA is really important, critical from a legal and um, practical sense. Um, to me, uh, if there's like a facility that's, you don't want to create an environment that's going to be detrimental to um, use of it, uh, use of a, like a state of sidewalk. Um, and I, I kind of the things I was talking about as far as clearances and and then, you know, if you can have this device sort of stop, if they can see somebody, they can send somebody coming in their way, they stop, let that person go. I'm not sure how this all works, but does that at all answer what you were, what, what you were asking? Yeah. Um, um, well, the, the staff report says that we might, we could approach this in any number of ways. One would be to have kind of a performance standard that the scout device be able to get out of the way mm -hmm. of any person, include, uh, whether under the ADA rubric or, or not, mm -hmm. to, to get out of the way within a certain number of seconds if it's going to operate in Kirkland. Uh, there's also still ongoing conversation among the ADA community about these kinds of devices. And there was a suggestion, well, do we wait until there is an ADA industry recommendation about how autonomous personal delivery devices can operate on the public rights of way? Um, and, and so I'm posing those questions. Well, that's a very good question. Um, uh, Joel, do you have any sense of the uh, or Julie, do you have a sense of where the city would stand on that as far as waiting to get more information from an ADA standpoint, or whether you would be the city might be comfortable with this proceeding? I don't think that there's been much um, the the ADA community has done much work on this as far as I as far as I'm aware um, to to address it. Um, so at this point, I think if we were if we were to go that route, it would mean a um, 
a you know pausing implementation, um, which you know it's it's this it is a conundrum. Is that the the accessibility issue is one of the larger concerns, um, but uh, how, and how to address that? But I don't think that's something that we're going to see an answer to from the you know ADA community in any short order. And my experience with this, and I'm looking at it from a liability you know, point of view, is if there were such a claim, um, we would probably remedy it as quickly as we could, meaning prohibit them until, you know, I mean, so, but I mean, um, until we see, I mean, largely kind of a complaint-driven world we live on, and if we see complaints rise in that area, then we would do something about it. Truly, I mean, because right now it's mostly anecdotal or don't know if there's a lot of data we, we have, right? Um, I see, I see the two commissioners have their hands up, but to Julie's point, I'll just add two bits, which is an Amazon representative stated at our field test that, for example, the, uh, the, the community that is challenged with sight prefers the scout to stay still so that that person can get a sense of where it is and maneuver around it. However, if you're in a wheelchair and it freezes, well, then you can't. You may not be able to go anywhere for a while. And so, should we? The question is whether to wait until the ADA community has a recommendation. Thank you. Okay, um, Patrick. Yeah, just my two cents on the ADA one. Uh, I guess just putting them on my. Uh, my, my perspective, it's the, you know, when electric cars came out, they're all quiet and, you know, you didn't hear them coming. So I just, you know, just from a practical standpoint, from lessons learned on, on those deployments, you know, at least for this, you know, folks that are uh, site challenged, you know, be able to, to make sure that the people hear this thing coming um, and so forth along those lines, just, just two cents. And we talked about wheelchairs, but from the site impaired, I think that would be mm -hmm. um, something to uh, just bring up. I mean, they might, I have a solution. I just don't know, but question I have on that front. That's a really good question. And then, um, and then I don't know if I was going to switch topics to that, to that, uh, the other, the private venture uh, section five there that you had, you had a comment on, you want us to comment on. Um, so switching gears to that one, um, you know, my, my, my take on it, it's not really utility. It's not like they're there permanently. They're just a fleeting kind of user of that infrastructure. Just like a, a delivery van is a kind of fleeting infrastructure that's you know, a fleeting device that uses our public roads. You know, there's a taxation process for that, for, for gas tax and for using the roads. I'm not sure there's not much juice to squeeze from, from, from these guys in terms of I don't see this being, you know, uh, a utility like Comcast or you know, our frontier or whatnot. They're not there permanently. They're if anything, they're taking a car off the road. Um, so for me, just more like, you know, make sure we cover a cost. If there's a lot of, you know, public, you know, staff time devoted to this, you know, perhaps there should be a little fees to make sure that we're made, a little, made more whole on that front. But I, I don't see this as a moneymaker. 
but more uh, let's just try to cover ourselves uh, regulating these guys. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Raphael. Uh, two thoughts. One is uh, uh, around 88. I, I don't remember the top of my head, but the, there is an ANSI standard for safety for, for AGVs. Um, I'm imagining the vendor here is following similar things. And, you know, these, these standards, uh, so my, my experience is with, with, with AGVs in, let's say, warehouse environments. Uh, um, the, the package of sensors and, and things that they have on board uh, are aimed at giving humans the right of way so whenever they detect a collision or something, the, the, the vehicle stops. Uh, there's more than one way to stop. Uh, there, in some cases, there are hard bumpers, so to speak, that the minute they, that's kind of like the last resort. There's operator stop, there's an emergency stop button on it, so far and so on. So I, I would imagine absent additional ADA uh, requirements, a lot of thought and a lot of care probably has been gone by following some of these standards. So this, this would be an argument for saying, hey, absent additional guidance, if you are following you know, whatever the ANSI is uh, or, or, or whatever the vendor is telling us that they, they followed uh, is, is probably a good way to start. So that's one. The other one is you were Talking about climate change, et cetera, and going going back to in interesting data to collect, I think getting a sense of vehicle miles traveled and and payload delivery and such is probably a reasonable surrogate to understanding that pilot how how many trips were reduced, right? But this this is yet another data collection data analysis. Uh, exercise that's unlikely to be free. Uh, but I think uh, extrapolating trips saved to to emissions and some of those things is, is probably a reasonable thing to uh, to pursue while we're observing and trying to understand the value uh, that, that these solutions are bringing to the community. So, go ahead. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I think that um, in the hour we've covered um, your initial questions and we've, we've had discussions about the items in the staff report. We stand by for uh, how you'd like to continue the conversation or wrap it up for now. I think we've covered the, you know, the, the bulk of what people are concerned about. I guess I'd be interested in um, having you go back to addressing anything that's that came up that you need to research a little bit more and report back to us on that. You know, in, in the meantime, you might have more input from council or planning commission. Certainly we need to find out what kind of data is collected and how long it's stored and the, the issues that were raised about um, um, also making sure that private person, persons and private property information is um, safeguarded. And 
the I myself need to find out about the uh, ADA standards regarding uh, certain devices that Mr. Fernandez was referring to just a moment ago. Um, Yeah, I would say I would say about my my point. Probably the important part, more so than ADA, is understanding what the device, as presented to the city, does to protect the safety of people and infrastructure. the The answer may be an ANSI standard that, that the city can consult. Let me put it that way. Thank you. This. Uh, Mr. Starbart, Mr. Starbart, does, does the device have a um, a warning noise that it makes? Um, I don't remember hearing that. And Scott, did we ask about that? I, it, I I don't think we asked it at the time. It has come up since then in um, the planning com planning commission meeting, like how how these devices do they make noise? Do you remember um, strobes or anything like that that alert you to the presence of the of the vehicle? The well, device, are, yeah, the device has yeah, like lights. lights and stuff, but they weren't in operation at the time. Okay, um, they uh, are required by state law to have um, lights if they're operated uh, past, I guess, sunset or a certain time and operate at night. Right, and during during the day, like I'm, I'm guessing you saw these things moving well under six miles per hour. Yes. Around that, okay. Uh, and you don't remember during daytime seeing any strobes or lights or anything like that. Okay. Oh, oh no! Actually, they they did. The lights did go on when a person approached it or when it was approaching an intersection, even during the daylight hours. At least that's what I remember, Scott. Okay. Yeah, maybe they were uh, when they interacted with the operator as well, or some sort of remote operator. I know there were some flashing going on when they were trying to sync up or something. But yeah, it wasn't clear if if that was if that's the the standard that they at, at when they approach right. people or intersections that that would be the default operation. Right. Uh, they have the technology to do that, obviously. So there could be something that would be one of those standards that would be required. Uh, yeah, I think local uh, operation. Sorry, I cut you off. Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, I was just, it could be a standard that we could apply in regulation. I see. Yeah, I think a good follow up to, to you know, what does a device do to protect uh, humans and infrastructure and things like that? Uh, a good question to ask is, how does a device make their presence known? Uh, there may have been things that you haven't uh, been demoed necessarily, but uh, the answer could be no. Uh, it doesn't make it presence known. Okay. But uh, there's, there's more than one strategy there. Uh, Patrick. Hey, Kurt. Uh, thanks. Uh, just just a reminder. I think, you know, it's great that Amazon's probably a very good corporate citizen trying to address, you know, and they have a very good prototype. But you know, it's always providing regulations and frameworks for the guy that's not Amazon, right? So just, I just want to make sure staff is is you know we're not writing regulations thinking we're getting this vendor and then we inadvertently allow these mm -hmm. other vendors a little less, you know, scrutiny. You know, um, very good point. 
So, John and Scott, does that give you some guidance as far as the next step? You know, I think it does. We'll we'll sort through your observations and comments and concerns. And um, at this point, I think what we have the obligation to do is to return to the city council with um, sort of a, a a version of this regulatory framework that we presented in your staff, in our, in our staff report to you tonight, um, but modifying it to include what you've offered tonight. Um, and uh, we'll also try to get um, uh, additional community input on these issues. Great. That's good to hear. Thank you. I, I really appreciate your initial memo. I think it was really informative. Thank you. And thank you for your thinking about this. Yeah. It's a new world. It is. <laughs> well, we'll see you next time. Okay. Good night. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Interesting stuff. All right. So it's we're just a little over time here, but we're getting getting through it. Uh, the next thing is the uh, next topic is the transportation master plan, 2021 progress report. Um, and with us today is Blair Daly uh, with the transportation uh, transportation program coordinator with the city. Yes, thank you. I will dive right in. So we've got a transportation master plan, which was adopted in 2015. So we are seven years down the road. And what we're looking at here is one of the last chapters of our existing TMP. Uh, it's called transportation measurement. And it calls for us to measure and report on progress toward achieving goals and completing actions. Um, Excerpting from down here, it says, uh, basically what we wanted to do is come up with a, a way of presenting our progress toward completing goals in the TMP that is presented in a way that is easy to understand and accessible for a wide range of stakeholders. Um, it should be summarized in a way that is meaningful so that the progress toward a handful of measures is simple to track over time. Scrolling down a little bit, we'll see the table, the level of service table is what it was called. This is on page 101 in the TMP. And so this is the original source uh, that we looked at when trying to come up with how do we present our progress toward completing goals in the TMP. So uh, what, we're, what we're talking about tonight is the 2021 TMP progress report. And that means it's a snapshot as of the first, um, well, as of December 31 of 2021. So the end of that calendar year. So we're now several months beyond that. So the completion percentages that we'll be looking at in the progress report are representative of that snapshot in time at the end of 2021. And this is our third occasion of making an annual TMP progress report. The first one was in 2018, then in 2019. Uh, in 2020, we did not produce one due to lack of uh, staff resources. And then uh, this is the third one, the 2021. So it's skipping ahead. Some of you all might have seen that we have uh, the third page of the three page progress report, we call it. It's, it's, it's an infographic, basically, and the first two pages are the report. And the third page is this uh, way to track progress year over year. And so you can see that's why we have some, some blanks in the 2020 column. Um, overall, big picture, like I said, it's, it's a 
rather than a, a text heavy report, we came up with an infographic report. And the format remains pretty similar to 2018 and 2019. But we update the numbers and that's the idea is to make it replicable so we can compare progress uh, over, over a many year period. A note about these items in the TMP, um, the goals were, were sometimes tricky to come up with ways of measuring them um, in a straightforward way. So uh, there were occasions when we took the intent of the goal and made something similar that was measurable as a way to express our, our completion percentage. We wanted for as many of these as possible to be expressing out of 100% how complete is this thing. So uh, one of them that was straightforward that we we're pretty much able to to just base directly on was like this one. You can see bike greenway network, complete the greenway network. That's a goal uh, with a time horizon of 20 years. So 2015 to 2035 was the time horizon of our existing TMP. And so that'll show up then later in the report and we'll be able to give a completion percentage out of 100% of completing the greenway network. So I will just start at the top. The, the modes are laid out in the same order that they're presented in the TMP, uh, but before any of the modes, we started with safety numbers. What we look at here is uh, groupings of three years at a time to, to smooth out um, some peaks and be able to see more of, a, of whether a trend is emerging. And like in the 2019 TMP progress report, we do see an upward trajectory so uh, 2016 to 2018, that three-year period, disabling injuries 31 up to 35 in the three most recent years, 2019 to 2021. So we, prevent, we present these both as raw numbers and then also as rates um, out of, uh, as a ratio of uh, per 10,000 population. So Kirkland has about 85,000 population. So uh, fatalities and disabling injuries up. Um, this is unfortunately consistent with what has been observed statewide. The city does have our vision zero goal, which is zero fatalities and serious injuries on our streets by 2035. Um, we've got some ongoing initiatives, of course, that are working towards bringing these numbers down. We don't want disabling injuries. We don't want fatalities on our streets. Some of those initiatives are the neighborhood safety program the Vision Zero Action Plan, the Active Transportation Plan, and the Safer Routes to School Action Plans. Next, looking at uh, the walking mode. So there are three different items under walking. First one is school walk routes. This is a goal where we're almost at 100%. And uh, kind of tracking, let's see, tracking the previous years, the very first year that we did this 2018 report, we were already at 96%. So that one was um, one that shouldn't be too challenging to get up to 100% and we're very nearly there. And so that's an example of one where looking towards the future uh, as we update the TMP as part of the process of updating the comprehensive master plan, which uh, we've started discussions on already, we'll probably be selecting some, some different goal um, or, you know, or leave it as is and, and claim credit for uh, sidewalk on all school walk routes. But an example of how that could become more ambitious is that it's expressed just as uh, arterials and collector streets only, 
and it's sidewalk on at least one side of the street. So there are portions of our school walk routes. These are the official city council approved adopted school walk routes. There are portions where there's sidewalk just on one side of the street and that is counted uh, in this goal because that's what, um, that's what the TMP called for was achieving the goal of having sidewalk on at least one side of the street. So the only two elementary school walk routes that are not already at 100% sidewalked are Sandburg and Twain, as you can see. Regarding crosswalks, there's a goal uh, for 71 light deficient crosswalks were identified in the TMP. And so we're just keeping track on which of those crosswalks have we made lighting upgrades to, to make them light, uh, light sufficient. So that's, that's an example of one where we've seen just in, in a short span of time, a nice increase uh, getting up there towards 100% um, completion. You can see 16% in 2018, 35% in 2019, and now up to 54%. So we are on an ongoing basis working with PSE to um, occasionally it requires installing new light posts, um, but often it, it's just a matter of switching out uh, old style lighting fixtures for newer LED brighter lighting fixtures. Third one is the 10 minute neighborhoods item. And this is another one where nearly at 100%. There's a couple of very small gaps on 120th Avenue, both north and south of Northeast 85th Street, where um, there is not sidewalk on either side of the street. I'll pull up that um, 10 minute neighborhood route map from the TMP. And you can see here a little bit fuzzy, but the blue color represents the, the highest scores uh, walk routes uh, according to the 10 minute neighborhood walkability analysis. So for all the areas where you see blue, um, these are the most walkable areas to get to amenities and so on. And uh, there is sidewalk on at least one side of the street of 99.7% of this network of blue lines. Moving on to the bike portion, uh, there are just two parts. It's the bike lanes network and the neighborhood greenways network. So 78% of the planned bike lane network is complete. That's the 2015 one. This one is going to change because we have a new active transportation plan. Uh, well, we updated uh, the one from 2009 and that contains a new planned bike lane network. So here's an example of one that will definitely adjust for, for next year's TMP progress report. We'll, we'll probably have to adapt our methodology and come up with a new system of measuring our completion rate. And so that 78% could go up, could go down. Um, I guess more likely going down because our, of course our new plan network is gonna be more ambitious than the one from, from 2015. We're talking about things like protected bike lanes and all ages and abilities. So we'll have to come up with a methodology for measuring our completion percentage for that goal. When it comes to greenways, 18% um, of the planned greenways network was underway as of the end of 2021. So that was including the nearly complete 75th and 128th greenways, as well as the in design stores to shores greenway. Next portion here pertains to transit. So there's speed and reliability and then passenger environment. So um, for speed and reliability, we just explained that the transit implementation plan 
um, is, you know, has a variety of projects that work on improving speed and reliability. And we call out the upcoming uh, BRT on I-405 and the Rapid Ride K-Line, which uh, I understand to be back in planning by, uh, by Metro and in cooperation with us. And then for the passenger environment, this pertains to bus shelters. So we took the, let's see, let's remember what the goal exactly called for passenger environment. Oh yeah, I said improve lighting, shelters, et cetera, at 30 highest ridership locations. So uh, what we did is uh, every, every year we need to get data from King County Metro and formerly from Sound Transit also to establish which are our 30 highest ridership stops. And those stops shuffle around and they shuffle around quite a bit for the 2021 data, which is why our um, completion percentage went from 90% in previous years down to 80% because there were uh, a number of stops that made their way up into the 30 highest ridership that were unsheltered. So uh, six of those 30 highest ridership stops do not have shelters. Uh, we do expect this year though, the completion of one of those six, which is at 116th Avenue Northeast and Northeast 124th Street. Then there's the module pertaining to driving automobiles. Uh, first of all, I'll go over the ITS. So this one, the goal is 100% of our signalized intersections being fully updated to the city standard for two things, for both the equipment and its connectivity to the transportation management center. So 54 of our 62 inter, uh, signalized intersections are indeed fully up to date with their equipment and fully connected to the, to the, the TMC. So that's another one approaching 100%. Uh, we can see our progress oh, since we started making reports in 2018 was uh, 66%, 80%, now up to 87%. Then this portion of the progress report, we changed this year, well, for the 2021 report um, to just express a simpler metric, which is the overall pavement network, um, pavement condition index. So uh, this is one where our city council, I believe has set a target of 70 for the, the entire network. So 75 is above that target. That's good. Um, max of hundred, that would mean if we were at hundred, all of our pavement would be uh, in really, really good condition, which would not exactly be the most efficient use of resources. So, uh, you know, in, in this case, 100% is, is not the goal. Um, in other words, an index score of 100% is not the goal. It's rather 70. And then the last portion here, where we get at the item in the TMP that called for completion of different projects. Uh, what we do is we express some of the, or we, we present some of the higher profile transportation projects underway and give a count of how many the city is, is working on. So uh, in this case, uh, we also provide where they are in the city and then what modes they will primarily impact. So we got the, the TLC bridge there in Totem Lake, 100th Avenue Northeast multimodal improvements, Lake Street and Kirkland Avenue pedestrian scramble. These are high profile transportation projects underway. We need to drive improvements, Northeast 132nd Street intersection improvements, and 116th Avenue and Northeast 124th Street intersection improvements. And then again, um, 
the ability to track our progress year over year is a helpful function of, of the third page of the report. I'll just reiterate the, the point about staff have already started early stage discussions about updating, uh, about our required update of the comprehensive plan. And that will include an update of the transportation master plan. So when that takes place, um, we're gonna have to do some revamping and some adjusting of, of uh, how our annual progress report looks because the goals and the objectives might change. And there'll be some uh, tension between the desire for continuity to be able to continue filling in these cells. You know, you can see 2022, 2023, 2024. Ideally, we, we could see continuity towards 100% for a lot of these things, but at the same time, the goals are gonna change. And so some of these might have to adjust. So that will be that will be a project, and um, of course, we'll appreciate your input on how to go about um, trying to maintain some continuity in these annual reports while adapting to the updated goals and objectives in the the new TMP once that's complete. Thank you. Thank you, um, Patrick. You've had your hand up for quite a while now. Thanks, Kurt. Great presentation. You know. New to the commission, obviously new to the city as well. I understand the continuity in terms of the metrics being used, but I just had a couple of thoughts, maybe even going forward. But uh, to me, a couple of things stood out uh, on the progress report. One is the transit, the transit one. If you can scroll back up to that transit slide, uh, transit portion of the infographics. Uh, yeah, it, to me, it doesn't, you know, especially for the past couple of years of COVID, there was a lot of service cuts that occurred. And so I'm, you know, I'm wondering from the sentiment for, you know, just for the seat to just know where we are at, this is great about capital improvements and, and so forth, but it doesn't quite, doesn't seem to quite capture, you know, the speed and reliability for me is, is one, it's like, well, those are for things to be built, but this, the, the, the front and center is the service cuts, right? It's the, the bagged over bus shelter and bus line number because it's been cut. You know, some of these things, might be helpful for reflecting on, for the city to reflect on, hey, what has been cut? You know, how many lines, transit line services have been cut or improved or added, blah, blah, blah. Because that, that to me gets to my neighbors that are talking about how their lines aren't, aren't being restored because there's not enough drivers, you know, people are working from home still and so forth. So that was kind of a, a thought. This is, these metrics here seem to be much more like on the capital side rather than on the service side of the house. So something to consider. How many, how many bus routes, how many miles of bus routes, how many, how many population centers are, something like to that effect uh, to capture that. Something to think about on that front. Um, my other comment about the drive portion of the house, uh, I'm, a, I'm a transportation geek, right? I did, I did asset management for our pavements. Um, I love averages because it's kind of like you put one foot in the cold water and one foot in hot water and it's, it's perfect, right? And here for me, it's like, I, it's, I love, it's 75 as a target. Uh, but to me, what concerns me and my neighbors are much more on the, it's the potholes, right? It's the, it's the bad road everybody remembers. They don't remember the great roads. So is there a way to present the spread? You know, yeah, there's 75 is the average, but uh, there's some dogs out there. Or some, what's the worst out there, right? And how long, how long those worst roads condition have been out there, you know, versus there's one great road that's, that has a lot of miles on it. So something, something to affect that, it's not just the average, but something gathered what the spread is, right? Most of our roads are good. You know, there might be a couple one, or is it a very good one and then a bunch of 
smaller little ones that are really bad shape, you know? So something to that sentiment, because it's the guy that has the pothole in front of his house that's gonna call, it's not the, it's not the average guy. So just a couple comments from, from, from me, just, just, you know, I love, you know, I love these simple graphics, it conveys things, but just something that stuck out for me. Yeah, and I think we got some similar feedback from council where they thought maybe breaking down by road type. I think you're getting at that, Patrick, like, hey, you're seeing residential streets are probably, they are in the worst shape. Yeah. You know, neighborhood, um, local, very local residential streets compared to, of course, arterials and collectors. And so that might be something we will look at. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. Um, I just had a couple of things. Um, one is I really like the graphics uh, on this report. They're very, they pop out at you and uh, I'm more of a visual kind of guy. So that, that's great. Um, under the key transportation projects, one that I have note that I think you need to add is the 124th Avenue Northeast um, improvements that all include uh, pretty significant non-motorized improvements. Uh, all the wider sidewalks and um, for those automated delivery vehicles, you know, and um, uh, bike lanes. And so um, I think that one should be on here uh, as a major project. It should go to add, not good this, this year. So, and uh, the last thing was, uh, you know, you brought up the fatalities um, going up, which I know. It could be a lot of reasons for that. Maybe more people are walking and, um, you know, maybe speeds might be going up. I guess there's, it'd be nice to know a little bit more about uh, some metrics about how you could uh, measure that. Is, are these on high-speed roads? Are these on, what's the average speed in that road where these fatalities are happening? Um, I don't know how you would report that, but, you know, it's certainly something of a really concerning, like as you pointed out, from a vision, vision zero standpoint, um, is there a way of, the, of kind of um, dialing in a little bit deeper on that? Uh, that's about the only thing, three things I was going to bring up right now. Anybody else? Shri, uh, Michelle? Let's see. I assume this is going to have to evolve when TMP is updated and adopted. Joel, where is that? I mean, we want to have some longitudinal data, of course. Yeah, the expectation is um, we're balancing uh, a lot of different things. You know, we're balancing um, trying to make something that is replicable and fairly straightforward so that we can do it every, you know, do it every year. Um, and we can produce the data, you know, we're trying to gather data that we kind of have on hand. So we're not creating work to create, you know, yeah. create a bunch of steps to create the, because um, what we find is if we do too much of that, um, then we just don't get around to doing the, doing the report. Um, but it is kind of a, a balancing act there. Um, and then there's the, the you know, continuation of from past um, 
the past TMP, but um, I think we've learned a lot over the last seven years, and we'll look, be looking at you know what what measures we should keep, what measures we should uh, tweak, what measures we should you know completely change, and stuff like that. I, I think that's worth noting if you're not familiar with government. Um, we are not, unfortunately, like tech companies where we have software analytics that are just automatically collecting. I think it's safe to say Blair is collecting. It's manually going to these different places and, and pulling this data, and there is no you know, software uh, platform <laughs> we're going to and just saying, let's let's just print up this infographic. No, he's manually doing it all. So I appreciate you knowing that just so you know, it, it is a lot of work to pull this together, unfortunately, unfortunately. So. <laughs> well, it really looks good um, from a presentation standpoint. Um, Michelle. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, again, it does look great. And I think um, kind of in align with what other people said, um, you know, it's it's at, because it's at a certain level, right? You know, my, you're always like, well, you know, I'd love to dig in a little bit more and understand. And I think maybe one thing to think about for a report like this then is like, it, except for the safety numbers, which kind of are going in the wrong direction, everything else is kind of going in a positive direction. And so like, if I was at work, I would say like, well, what are the things that we're struggling with, right? Like, even if it's going up, is it at the rate we want, right? Like, like maybe just highlight the areas where we wish we had done better or, or something like that, right? However you want to frame it, but something maybe like an executive summary narrative. Yeah. Yeah, but that could say, yeah, here, you know, things generally are good. Generally but maybe did well, yes. but here's some yeah. here's yeah. some trends we're not happy with. Okay. Yeah. Great idea. Three. I your 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 uh volume is a little faint still. Is it better now? A little bit, yeah. Um I was wondering for the collision numbers, is there a more specific breakdown, like in where locate specific locations that are happening or within age groups? Because if it's like near schools or if the age group is low, then maybe we need to strengthen the policy of um, speed limits near schools or those policies. Good point. That, um, that's a good question. And um, we do have uh, a lot of that data. It's part of our Vision Zero. Um, we've collected and analyzed a lot of that as part of our Vision Zero action plan. And, um, and we, I am trying to recall, I believe, I'll see if I can send, find the link. Um, so we did put together a map of where the crashes occur that people could access and view online um, because that is really, um, it's, uh, it is interesting to see the patterns and trends of where 
where they are taking place. And it is something we look at and, um, and one of the ways that we plan for. There we go. Thank you, Blair. So um, I think it's safe to say that the roll up of the infographic is a lot of this information rolled up into a small bar chart, but this represents um, where uh, collisions have taken place. And this is focused on, once again, um, I might have the, yeah. So um, pedestrian, like this is pedestrian collisions and bike collisions. Um, and so that's what we're focused on. And then, then auto collisions that were, um, this is serious injuries and fatals, um, fatal crashes involving vehicles. Does that uh, answer your question, Sri? Yeah. Great, thank you. Those are, that's great, great input. Thank you. Uh, anybody else? Patrick or Michelle? Uh, I think you're muted, Patrick. <laughs> hey, just out of curiosity, uh, maybe for the safety one, having a comparable number to what you know what it is in Washington State versus national trends and so forth. Maybe that'll put some context. Mm. Same thing. If, if there are any other ones, you know, like how do we compare for pavement compared to city Seattle? You know, something you know, you know, it's something to put ourselves in context. It's like great, seven five, but is that good or bad? Is that how are we doing compared to Bellevue, right? Or when you know Redmond, you know. Totally, yeah. So, yeah, just a thought on that front. Yeah. Thank you. And that's, that's good stuff. Um, well, uh, Blair, it's been it's a good presentation, and uh, thank you for the update. Um, anybody else have anything to chime in on? Thank you. Um, look forward to seeing the next one. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and I, and I thank you for all the work that you're putting into this. I know it, it, it's going to be daunting at times. So. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, so we'll, now we're just a little, again, we're just about a couple of minutes after uh, the deadline on this one. So let's move on to the third topic. Um, that is the, speaking of speeds, um, the 84th Northeast speed limit change um, and Joel, um, I assume you're going to be presenting on this one. Yes. And um, bronze, uh, Iris should be in the audience. And so um, if you could promote her into the as a panelist, that would be great. And so um, what I'm gonna be talking about here this evening is the 85th Avenue Northeast speed limit change. Um, so uh, I'm gonna start out by talking a little bit about our current policy that we have for setting speed limits, which is, um, which is a little antiquated now. Um, with, I would say, the, the best practice. And as you um, are, um, most of you are aware, we, it's one of the action items that came out of our Vision Zero 
action plan was to look at updating how we set speed limits to um, be more in keeping with uh, best practice. Um, but uh, we, this is what we have right now. And um, so just to review, this is what we use when we are looking, uh, when we're asked to look at um, 84th Avenue Northeast. And the reason we're looking at 84th Avenue Northeast is because um, it was raised as a um, consideration to have us look at this by city council as part of implementing the sc uh, school zone um, safety camera uh, installation along 84th Avenue Northeast on, um, on uh, Finn Hill. And I, I do have a, a map of the actual uh, corridor here in a moment, but so um, our our policy um, applies to uh, collectors and arterials because all of our uh, local streets outside of greenways are 25 miles per hour. Um, we basically use one of three speed limits, uh, 25, 30, or 35. Uh, Kirkland doesn't have any streets, um, you know, local streets that are marked um, above 35. Uh, we change them in five mile per hour increments uh, as is typical. The, this policy is based on the classic 85th percentile um, prevailing speeds. And um, in, in some cases, as the policy states, you know, one, one speed limit could be, one, more than one speed limit could be selected. Um, and the policy states that we should use the uh, higher speed limit unless there are special conditions present. So, um, and then the posted speed limit should be reasonable, safe, and based on engineering traffic studies. And um, when we do reduce operating speeds, uh, we should be looking at, uh, uh, when we want to reduce the operating speeds, we should also be looking at other things we could do to do that, like um, traffic operations, physical changes, things like that. And so um, the policy includes this little uh, nifty little graphic that's off uh, on this slide and where the on the um, the right side of the graphic where there's the little hatched lines, those are where you can um, you, uh, when we use this policy, one can select between either the higher or lower speed when we're looking at this analysis. So we can come back to this graphic if there are questions. Um, so here's the 84th uh, Avenue Northeast corridor. It is between 124th um, Street down here at the south end of this picture, if you can see my cursor, and it extends a mile and a half all the way up to the top um, of the, the slide there at Northeast 145th Street, which is also our northern city limit with the city of Kenmore. Uh, of course, the posted speed limit is 35 miles per hour, which is uh, unique on Finn Hill outside of um, only two other streets, uh, Juanita Drive and Simons Road are the only two other 35 mile per hour streets on Finn Hill currently. Uh, it's relatively straight, with grades up to about 5%. There are partial sidewalks and um, then other places we have shoulders separated by curb. And there are uh, three schools on the corridor, all kind of closely spaced, um, low des density residential, you know, 
um, couple of parks, um, one of them a, a fairly major park and average annual daily traffic of between 2,900 3,500 vehicles. So um, here's the speed data that we had when we were asked to look at this by council. This is what we had kind of on hand. Um, and so this is what we used to do this analysis. So um, we did some before and after studies back in 2015 in this corridor. And so what we have found is that the speeds in this corridor have stayed pretty much the same over time. Um, and so we feel like all of this data is still uh, useful. And so what we found when we look back at that um, information is we did um, before and after studies with um, this, when we implemented school zone uh, flashing beacon implement, uh, impl school zone flashing beacons in the corridor. And what I'm focusing on here is basically these are two separate samples. If I, I did take out the information about the, the significant decrease that the flashing beacons had on uh, the, well, increase in compliance with the 20 mile per hour speed limit with, when it was in effect. But um, I, kind of, I left that out because it didn't seem important for this particular discussion. But what we basically see is that um, the, the 85th percentile speeds collected in 2015 were kind of right on the cusp of that, um, that edge of where we could decide to either leave it at 35 or lower it to, um, to 30. Then we have also done uh, some data collection out there in 2014, 2017, and 2018. Uh, with our neighborhood traffic control program. And as you can see, a lot of those um, speeds are either at the, the 35 mile per hour speed limit, or in some cases, even below that 35 mile per hour speed limit. And so, um, and, you know, throughout the corridor. Uh, and so that's, that's a sample of the, um, the data that we were able to collect. And based on that, uh, anal analyzing that data and looking at conditions in the corridor, um, and also looking at kind of where the city is, is going with our speed limits. Um, as I mentioned, the, um, the, in the inconsistency of the 35 mile per hour corridor here, uh, we are also, as I think some of commission the commissioners are aware, the 131st 90th corridor or the Goodwill Hill corridor. We are also going to be lowering, that's currently a 35 mile per hour speed limit. We're going to be lowering that to 30 miles per hour as part of the project we're doing on that corridor. And so for consistency sake, um, and to get more of a uniform speed on the, on the you know, top of the hill, um, it made a lot of sense to make this modification. Uh, additionally, with the school zone safety cameras being implemented, uh, it made a lot of sense to set the speed limit at 30 miles per hour to help address the, um, the speeding issues that we have um, and the continued, you know, not real great compliance with the 20 mile per hour school zones, uh, even with the um, beacons flashing. 
And so uh, it seemed also like a good time to make this modification. So uh, next steps, we will be presenting this to the city council on June 7th for their review. And then next we will be working to implement the, um, the signage in coordination with community outreach and police. And we have also reached out to the city of Kenmore to the north because their section between 145th and Simons Road is also 35 miles per hour. And they are also um, in coordination with us going to be lowering their speed limit from 35 to 30 miles per hour. And so um, with that, I will uh, answer any questions. And we are, we are looking for the commission to recommend approval, right? Correct. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're muted, Kurt. Maybe a motion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, Julie. Uh, yeah, I'd like to make a motion to uh, approve this uh, measure to reduce the speed limit on 84. Second. Oh. Hey Kirk, can I can I ask a question before we? Yeah. Uh, just a quick question. You know, uh, I understand you guys put beacon, you know, the, the beacon lights up and so forth. Is there any physical, long-term physical changes to the corridor to make it, you know, a road, you know, make it a slower speed looking feel, look and feel to the road? So um, over the the years, we over the past five six years, we have. Um, paved both the north and south section. And, and as part of that, we have um, restriped it with narrower lanes. And for example, the southern section used to um, between 132nd and 124th Avenue uh, did not have continuous bike lanes. And we were able to narrow the lanes up and get continuous bike lanes along that section. Um, and, and so that's one thing we've done is with um, paint. Um, it is an emergency response route. So um, our, our emergency responders are uh, in, and in sections of it also have transit on it. So there is uh, some hesitancy to put, you know, physical like speed humps or that kind of thing on it. But, um, but then beyond that, uh, any things like um, looking at islands or things to constrain it further we haven't tackled any of that at this point yeah like crosswalk bolt, bolt outs or anything like that so right. just, just a thought i didn't know if, you know if we, we can not you know have have something that accompanies that besides the just physically changing the speed limit sign that we are also mentally you know making a, the corridor change and look and feel so that people do Kind of here to it. So. We do have an ongoing set of projects that will, uh, as part of our Safer Routes to School program, that will be looking at um, at additional sidewalks, you know, that type of thing in the corridor. Uh, there are a few crossings that are candidates for rapid flashing beacons. So trying to add some of those kinds of treatments that would make the corridor look more and more like a place for, you know, all modes of travel, not just a straight shot for cars. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Any other questions about this subject? 
Sounds great, uh, Joel. I'd like to make a mo uh, anybody have a motion to approve this um, uh, meeting? I'll make the motion, Kurt. Thank you, Patrick. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you. So approved. I'll say I'll say hi. Say hi. I'll approve. Approve. Say hi. 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 Thank you. A little rough on the edges there. Sorry. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to Iris because I used to work for her. So I yeah. know Patrick. I thought I know Patrick. You know what he, he? Oh my God! I'm glad you're back. You live in Kirkland. Yes. <laughs> we need to talk. Oh my God! This is so wonderful to see you again. <laughs> he was an intern for us, and he was really good. Thank you. Oh, I remember you. Oh, that's really still nice. Is. I'm still here, Patrick. I'm still here. I know. I saw that. I was like, that's why I mentioned to Kirk and, and folks when I got on here. So yeah. Back a year ago. Anyway, well, nice talking to you. Nice seeing you. I never want Iris to retire. <laughs> uh, that's a topic that we need to talk one of these days. Anyway, not tonight, though. <laughs> uh, Joel, thank you so much for presenting so well. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Iris. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to this. Being yeah, and thank you for Iris all, all over putting this together. So um, thank you for uh, for that. And, um, and yeah, so that concludes that topic. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm glad that it went smoothly. Yeah. You never know with speed what is going to happen. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Well, nice seeing everybody, and thank you so much. Thank you, Iris. Iris. Bye. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that was great. Um, so we now have uh, comments from um, updates from the uh, commissioners and uh, Joel. Okay. So um, give me one quick moment to bring up my agenda. So um, first of all, I wanted to note that uh, we took a ordinance back to our city council earlier. can't remember actually which meeting it was, um, but in the last month or so to look at changing the hours on the cross Kirkland corridor, the hours of operation. So previously it was basically operated during daylight hours, but it had come up on multiple occasions that, you know, the city's vision for that corridor was as a transportation corridor, not just a recreational corridor. And um, a transportation corridor that um, that is only open during daylight hours works pretty good this time of year, but a lot of the year it doesn't work that so well. And so um, we did propose a couple different options and council went with the option to make it so the hours of operation are 5 a.m. to 11 p.m., which is um, consistent with uh, fairly consistent with some of our, you know, waterfront parks um, seemed like a a reasonable approach and uh, and is a step forward towards allowing the corridor to be used um, during more hours of the day. It's also uh, consistent with uh, one of the projects that we're doing up in Totem Lake, which will be, uh, which is adding lights to the corridor um, 
between 120th Avenue and 124th Avenue there in Totem Lake under 405, which is one of the more sec one of the sections that feels a little bit more isolated and uncomfortable when you're when you're on it. So um, so that was a I just wanted to mention that to the, the commissioners. Um, I also wanted to note that our study session on our work plan has been, council's really busy right now. And so the first uh, study session we were able to get on to present our work plan was the July 19th, uh, 2022 um, uh, study session. And so all the, uh, we'll, as we get closer, we have, um, one more meeting where we'll kind of go over logistics for that a little bit more and um, talk about that and how we're going to present the the work plan to council and gather their feedback before they we bring it back to them for um, action. And then um, in talking to uh, oh go, um, go ahead Patrick. Hey, Joe, does that mean that I should mark my calendar for the 29th, for the 19th that we should be there or? Are. So typically, um, yes, uh, it's nice to have um, all the commissioners there. Uh, typically, the the chair and vice chair definitely attend, um, and and then, but it is you know it's kind of up. Frankly, it's kind of up to the commission and where we are with. Are we all back together? You know, in one chamber and stuff like that on how the commission wants to present the work plan. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of different options. We can, you know, share it around and people can present things or, um, uh, you know, Kurt can present uh, and fo other folks can add in, you know, commentary. So those are the kinds of things. I think that in the past, what we've done is um, have the chair present and then the other commissioners be there um, as a resource for you know questions and conversation. Okay, great, thank you. You bet. Good question. Um, and so uh, in-person uh, meetings, I think. So what we understand right now is the goal is to start in-person meetings in June, uh, or hybrid meetings. Um, but what that is hinging on is. Uh, making sure that the IT is set up so that we can uh, staff properly run and staff those hybrid meetings. And um, so it might be it might be July, but I will give everybody um, as much you know heads up as possible. Um, but that you know if nothing else we'll be meeting virtually. Kurt? Yeah, I just had a question backing up to the um, hours of use of TKC. Uh, was there any discussion or concerns about uh, lighting um, other than the, the undercrossing of 405 there? Uh, like there's some other areas of, of the trail that are particularly dark um, with tree cover. Was there any discussion about that? There was a little bit of discussion about that. Um, and uh, And so... The long term, the master plan indicates that you know long term that we would have um, some level of lighting along the whole corridor. Um, of course, there's you know, and and we would be balancing that so it was an appropriate level of lighting, and wasn't you know impacting, um, you know, as we learn time and time again, one person's 
adequate crosswalk lighting as another person's, you know, bane on their bedroom window. Um, and so this would be the same kind of thing as so we would be kind of trying to thread that needle to make sure we're providing some level of lighting um, without um, going overboard. Yeah. Great, thank you. Other questions? Um, that was a great update. Um, and I did have one other thing um, I wanted to, to talk about real quick that wasn't on my list. Um, and that is, uh, let's see if I can bring this up. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Bike Everywhere Day. And so um, last Friday, um, we, uh, oh gosh, hold on. Um, last Friday was Bike Everywhere Day and um, Blair Daly, who was just here as well as some other staff, um, Kim Scrivener was involved. Um, I believe uh, Victoria helped staff. Um, Tang Nguyen, one of our um, uh, transportation development engineers, as well as um, Commissioner DeBolt uh, and a couple other members of Kirkland Neighborhood Greenways all presented, helped staff booths um, and represent Kirkland Green Trip. We had um, booths at, uh, the, this is the Evergreen Point um, on the 520 trail. Uh, there's uh, Commissioner DeBolt and um, we had uh, quite a few people. Um, I think 90 people come through that station about. Um, there's Tang and a couple of other city employees who were biking across the 520 corridor. Um, we had quite a setup. It, um, we got a really positive response. Uh, a lot of great information about the CKC and um, other things going on in Kirkland. And then uh, we also had our longstanding uh, station down at Marina Park. And so Kim was there. Um, I believe this is another member of Kirkland Greenways there in the green. And um, so, and then we also worked with Kirkland Middle School and Kirkland Middle School um, put on an event and um, did some signs, had some, um, had some snacks to hand out and they filled the bike rack. I guess normally that bike rack has two or three bikes on it. Um, but uh, they had a, um, they had a very successful bike, uh, bike everywhere day last, um, last Friday. So I just wanted to wow. share that with folks and let me look and see if there was anything else in, um, in Blair's email. Uh, I should give a, a shout out to um, uh, Kirkland um, Kirkland Bicycle Shop because they did provide mechanics at both um, the Evergreen Point and Marina Park to do basic tune-ups and, and to look at things. Um, we did some promotion through our social media accounts, through Kirkland Green Trip, and um, and so we tried to make it uh, a, a fun event. Uh, we also hosted a um, Kirkland Greenways with the city hosted a, um, a bike everywhere happy hour at Chainline um, on May 19th, and that was well attended. So we, we tried to, you know, really celebrate um, 
even with the first half of the month being kind of wet, we tried to really celebrate um, <laughs> Bike Everywhere Month and are looking forward to uh, um, doing some some more of that as the as the year uh, pro progresses. So um, with that, uh, that concludes my report. You, uh, thanks, Joel. Do you happen to have any other updates on CIP? Um, oh, CIP. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. So yeah, there are there are some things going on in CIP. Um, uh, for those of you, um, there's a lot of active trans transportation projects going on. Um, let's see the this the for example the East Rail connections in the North End are now um, basically open. Um, you can ride the um, CKC uh, all the way to the Sammamish River Trail. Uh, there's one crossing that still needs some work in Woodenville, but um, and then we have our crossing that's going to take a while, take a few years. But um, that's pretty exciting. Um, then uh, they've been doing some road closures around the Totem Lake Connector um, Ped Bike Bridge uh, as they've been propping up the this um, the columns to support the bridge. Um, that's getting uh, that's getting to be looking really nice to see the you know concrete be available in that project back moving again. Um, the one thirty second uh, interchange project is now in uh, in full. Um, they've started they've closed half the street so um generally my advice would be to avoid northeast 132nd street at 405 at all costs um and be aware that there's a few left turns that are restricted there now um so that's uh that's going to be challenging for the next oh year and a half um then down near the near Juanita high school there's a project that we are going to be paving um at the end of this week and starting to wrap up to add the westbound right turn lane in 108th Avenue. And then the, the right turn lane into the high school will be getting under construction here in the next few weeks. Um, and then the other uh, lane widening sidewalk enhancement project is that's under construction is the southbound right turn lane in 116th Avenue and 124th Street, which is right near the, the Wendy's, um, if you're familiar where with the Wendy's is in Totem Lake. And that's just a sampling of some of the projects. Um, we have a couple other bigger projects um, that are not out to construction yet, but getting very close. Exciting times for the city. Yes, our CIP group is very busy. Great. I don't know, did we mention already about 100th Avenue, that project, we were successful in defederalizing that. Wow. <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> that yeah, it, it was, it was a, a amazing thing. And it's unfortunate we're like the state's poster child for defederalizing a project and and having to reimburse the state for the money we've already spent, but oh. and we believe that is still a bargain for the taxpayer, <laughs> sadly, um, so sad, but the goal is to go out to bid this fall, and that is what we're going towards, and um, uh, 
Yeah, and then that would mean construction starting in 23. Okay. But about it, it's it's um, long, long time. Two years in the federal, you know, process here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's great news. Yeah. Um, are there any other items that the commissioners would like to bring up at this time? No? Well, thank you all for your input tonight. Uh, it's been a great meeting, some interesting discussion. So uh, look forward to our June meeting. Uh, and I hope everybody has a good morning and weekend. Thanks, everyone. Have a great Thanks. weekend. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.